to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Patrice Davis, the founder and managing principal of Grants Works. Patrice, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. Um, so um, my name is, of course, Patrice Davis. Um, as you said, I'm with GrantsWorks, the founder and managing principal. I'm also the lead trainer with GrantsWorks Academy. And GrantsWorks is a grant consulting company that works with uh, emerging and established nonprofits, um, local government agencies, and startups to help them identify, acquire, manage and comply with grants, primarily government grants. And that's what I'm here to speak to you about today. Uh, just so your listeners are a little bit more aware of you know, the services we offer, uh, we have clients that include large organizations such as the CDC Foundation, where we help them um, establish a training program for grantees. Uh, but then we also provide other services such as you know, general uh, government grant research, and we, you know, are, you know, we provide a, a ton of services around that um, government grant specifically uh, because we have a really strong foundation in government ma grant management, um, having worked with 17 local, state, and federal grants for over 13 years. So thank you again. Well, I'm just so excited that we got a chance to connect on this because as you pointed out to me when we had our first conversation, um, there's a, a real moment in time around federal government support for uh, community-based missions and how this is different from what we've done in the past. And I want to get into the American Recovery Plan Act opportunities and a few other things around that. Um, but I think it's important before we jump into you know, why this is a different thing to uh, just talk a little bit about what may have been barriers in support of seeking government, especially federal government uh, type support from your, your more mid-sized nonprofit organization, uh, where it sometimes I think can feel intimidating uh, for the um, uninitiated person to go, I, I'm not even sure about how to understand some of these applications, let alone if I find one that I think is a really good mission fit for me uh, to actually be qualified to apply for it, because there are some steps that you're going to probably want to take before um, jumping into an application, because the government does have a process here. So as you talk with charities about going in for the first time for some larger scale support, maybe it's a federal application, um, how do you help coach them through just being ready to take advantage of that first opportunity? Absolutely. So, um, and I think that's a great, great point too place where to start. So, you know, we, I speak with the clients about becoming what's called government grant ready, being government grant, grant ready, just like being grant ready, you know, ready for grants from foundations or grants from corporations require not just having a checklist of documents ready to go, but does your organization have certain governance structures in place um, to be able to manage a government grant if you are awarded a government grant? So one of the steps I typically do, is, one of the steps I typically walk them through is is number one, ensuring that they are properly uh, registered as an entity in SAM.gov. Many um, organizations are aware, okay, that is definitely one of the first steps that um, I will need to take to ensure that my, my organization or the organization is uh, government grant ready. And once you're registered in grant.gov, then you want to take other steps such as, you know, identifying grants, mission aligned government grants uh, that uh, would help the organization expand its existing services. So one of the things I also point out with clients is if you are, you know, the organization is just getting started, you, you, you may not have any 
data to support the work that you are currently doing, then a government grant may not be the first place to start. That's something you want to start once you've been established for at least two years. So, yes, it is, you know, some um, organizations, they immediately, you know, there's sort of like the intimidation, as you pointed out, uh, you know, in terms of pursuing government grants, but government grants aren't just available at the federal level. As you know, Steve, they're also available at the state and local level. Uh, So, Right. And I I did want to jump in because there's a lot, I think, about that that I was learning from you in our first conversation that I really want to make sure we get to. But before we Mm -hmm. leave that uh, Sam versus grants versus login conversation, because, you Mm -hmm. know, Sam is kind of this cute little thing like, hey, it's Uncle Sam. But Mm -hmm. really, that's an acronym. uh, And if I remember correctly, systems of award management or something along those lines, um, Mm -hmm. which is a prereq, but it's not where you're necessarily going to see all of the opportunities, right? So can you just define why? Why is there a login.gov? Why is there a grants.gov? What is the SAM.gov? And um, how do those things interrelate for somebody that might be thinking about pursuing federal government support? So, for example, system for award management, to give you an example, if uh, an entity is registered in the system for award management, which is SAM.gov, and they decided and they know that they're going to have to, of course, submit an application in grants.gov, which is where one would find a host of federal grant funding opportunities, you can use your login.gov. Uh, login and password to access grants.gov if you are awarded by, for example, the National Endowment for the Arts or NASA or the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, you can access your SAM.gov, your grants.gov, and even your grant award information through your login.gov. As of uh, very recently, one must establish a login.gov account to be able to complete their SAM.gov entity registration. That wasn't the case before, uh, but now it is the case that once you become an entity of SAM.gov, before you do that, you must also uh, register in login.gov. And that's really to ensure that there's a secure way for an entity to access a number of government portals. Uh, right. so and, and I think yeah. worth jumping mm-hmm. in again on on that thought mm-hmm. of um, it sometimes feels a little frustrating to the smaller nonprofit user to go, wow, there's all these things that I have to keep track of. Um, and I just recently had to change a password for a client that doesn't have any active grants, doesn't have any uh, intention of applying for a grant in the very near future. But if they didn't want to expire all that stuff and have to go through a, uh, another process to restart it, one even has to change the passwords fairly frequently in order to stay current. Those are things I recommend people do. But as you explained this, I think it's very helpful to go, these all interact. They're a little bit of a thing to get set up if you've never done it before. But once mm-hmm. you've done it and you keep those passwords current, um, it's mm-hmm. really not as intimidating as it may sound. But you know, certainly having the help of somebody like a GrantsWorks as a partner to go through that is a great opportunity of, of easing some of the stress of, wait a minute, why am I in three different places and what does that mean? And um, once you get through it, 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 it's, I think, often worth the doing. But I did want to just jump in and say it, it feels uh, complex and, and sometimes a little frustrating uh, to, to see that amount of interaction required. Um, but once you've, you've gone through it, it, it's something that I think is manageable for most charities. Absolutely. Um, And if I can just briefly piggyback on that, once you register in SAM.gov, the entity of registration is active. You don't need to renew it until, you know, for another year, but you're absolutely right. There are instances where you will be notified that you need to update the password. Uh, But the great thing is, 
once you're registered once and you renew it each year, if an opportunity becomes available that is really well aligned with the organization, the organization has already removed the friction of having their SAM.gov um, entity registration. They now simply have to focus on that notice of funding opportunity or solicitation because they've removed the first step, which is ensuring that they are registered in SAM.gov. Right. Good. Mm-hmm. All right. So once people have that and they, they you know can get to grants.gov to start thinking about opportunities, um, that too, I think can be a little overwhelming just because the the volume uh, of uh, things can be a little hard to work with. So again, as you're talking through those new clients and people that are just coming in for the first time, uh, how do you help them really identify, uh, boy, this opportunity could be a really good fit and it's worth your time, but if you, you can't apply for all of them, there's probably just not enough hours in the day to do that. So um, prioritizing and and triaging what's right for you, again, can seem a little intimidating, I think. Absolutely. So grants.gov, one of the great things about grants.gov that um, I think everyone should be aware of is there are ways to filter your search and really customize your search so that you can find the grants, uh, the grant funding opportunities that are uh, mission aligned or best aligned with your organization. You can do that through filtering, which is an easy filter that you do on the, on the search grants page. And that's something you can just easily access by determining whether or not you want to search for only grants and cooperative agreements, or if you want to look at the eligibility criteria you can select that as a filter. If you only want to look for grant opportunities from a particular federal funding agency, you can even filter for that, or you can apply multiple filters. That is a one-time filter. There are ways to also subscribe and create filters based on all of the the, the, uh, criteria I just mentioned, save them, um, and then of course, you know, be able to see those results um, as those results become available. Of course, one needs to uh, establish a grants.gov account. That is a great way to make sure you become more familiar with the system. And once you establish a grants.gov account and you are able to find grants that are grant funding opportunities that are well aligned with the organization, Again, you remove that next uh, uh, area of friction in that if an opportunity becomes available, you're already registered in grants.gov. The next step is simply to set up what, whatever steps may be required to apply for that particular funding opportunity. So SAM.gov is done, check, that's done. Grants.gov is done, check, that's done. And then the next thing, of course, is to really focus on the solicitation or the notice of funding opportunity. Uh, and, and again, what I just described, those ways to really uh, filter your searches and uh, customize those searches. That's a really great way to uh, remove the thousands of other opportunities that may not be applicable to your organization. Yeah. So what we've been talking about so far has been very focused on the federal government and has been kind of procedural around how things just work. Mm-hmm. But that's how they've worked for a, a little while. Well, I mean, the, the whole login.gov thing is newish, but it's not. I mean, it's a couple of few years now that we've had that or however long. Mm-hmm. Um but for folks that have been maybe more on the sidelines in the past thinking, well, you know, those grants things go to the big players and, and we small entities don't really have much shot at that. So I'm just not going to pay attention. Um, when we had our first conversation, Patricia, you we're talking a lot about um, where things are at that's, that's very different right now. So how do you express to people, you know, what's been made different around some of the new support that is uh, coming out as part of the American Recovery Plan Act and, and other, you know, kind of co COVID recovery and and whatnot uh, funding streams. 
Absolutely. So um, I'm glad you brought that up, Steve. So the American uh, Rescue Plan Act, uh, Coronavirus State and Local Fiscal Recovery Fund. I know this is a a mouthful. Uh, It is a mouthful. Uh, But what I would love, I'd love to go into detail about this because I've been singing, you know, singing from the rooftops about this. So the Department of Treasury uh, uh, received $350 billion as it will, uh, as it will received, it was authorized to um, award to every city, county, state, tribal and territorial government $350 billion. That's the round number from what I understand and maybe even $362 billion. So every city, every city, county, state, uh, uh, tribal and territorial government was required to request the funding, then they received the funding, and then each entity or each government entity can determine how those funds would be utilized within four broad categories. Uh, I have seen some county governments, what they have typically done is they receive the funding, they then survey their communities to find out what services those particular communities think is the best use of those funds within those four broad categories. And once the survey results are received, they then release requests for application for uh, nonprofits and other entities in the community to provide those services. So this is what makes it so exciting is that nonprofits, when they apply for these funding opportunities to provide those services in your community, you're applying and you're competing with other nonprofits that may or may not exist in your community to provide those services. So rather than your local community uh, you know, competing against nonprofits across the state or even across the country, even your local community is you will be applying to provide those services in your community if you're actually based there. And, and it's even better because, of course, your local organization understand the needs on the ground. That's what makes it so uh, such a great opportunity um, is you know because the funding is coming straight to the local government to the local uh, governments, and then of course it's you know local needs being served by local providers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what's so great about this. And that's why it's so important for organizations to, you know, get signed up in SAM.gov uh, to, you know, just make sure that they have everything they need to be government grant ready so that these opportunities, they can actually apply for these opportunities. Another alternative is if they're not quite government grant ready, they can use this as an opportunity to partner with organizations that are. Uh, so there may be an instance where a larger organization may apply for the funding. They partner with that larger organization to uh, be awarded as a sub-grantee or sub-awardee that would provide a certain part of that service. So for example, a homeless shelter that's established that has received government grants in the past and they apply for the funding, they may want to be, they may want to sub-award a certain portion of their award or their grant from the fiscal recovery fund to maybe a, uh, a child care center that provides services for, you know, maybe homeless mothers um, and their children. So that's an example of how those funds may be, uh, you know, emerging nonprofits may be able to use the, may be able to uh, get at, gain access to those funds because of course it's an opportunity to serve community and of course expand their services. 
Yeah, one of the things that I expressed some concern about when we first chatted was this uh, it feels like some government funding sources are a little bit more of a transactional exchange. You know, we're, we're not going to just grant you a uh, million dollars to go do good work in community, but rather we're going to award a budget up to a certain dollar amount where we will pay for fee for service delivery of, you know, you serve X number of clients and we reimburse those costs or whatever. Um, these sources, though, feel a little bit more like grants. Um, than that, but I, I don't know that that's universal. Is that uh, does it? Am I correct in in my kind of guesstimate that it feels like they're a little bit less uh, what they used? What at least to me felt like you know this more reimbursement basis versus we will award some money up front for these deliverables. You do have to tell us what you're going to do, and we do want to hold you accountable to that. But it is a little bit more like a grant where you're getting some support to get started. Absolutely. So that RFA is for grant funding. So uh, you would be the organizations would be applying for a grant. Typically, for many government grants, they are typically awarded as cost reimbursement grants. And how that it typically works is that, as you said, they award you, let's say, up to one hundred thousand or up to one million dollars. You, your organization, is responsible for carrying out that service. Let's say within a thirty-day period after the end of that thirty-day period, you submit a reimbursement to the government entity, and they reimburse you for those funds. Of course, provided that those costs are properly documented, and of course, uh, they're all eligible costs. Uh, so that's that's typically how many government grants are funded. However. It is, I have actually experienced uh, one of my clients received American Rescue Plan Act funding from a county and the full award was awarded to them on the front end. And what that yeah. organization has to do is then submit financial reports on a monthly basis. So they receive the money on the front end, they carry out the service and each month they submit basically a financial report to the to the county government just 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 justify basically providing uh you know justification of the expenses uh so there have been some flexibilities um in how these funds are being distributed to uh, nonprofits that are providing the services and you mentioned a little bit ago that billions of dollars of uh funding are available in these streams uh is there any context for how much there might have been made available through these grants.gov searches in the past that would actually be available for charities to apply to be partners in or or do we not have a sense of exactly what kind of scope we're talking about here well i i, I can't provide that context okay. um, because well, because the the funding is used for four specific purposes um, i can provide of course the breakdown of the the billions that the treasury department um, has been and will continue to um, uh, extend to local and City, I keep having to state just how significant this is. Every city, county, state, tribal, and territorial government that has requested the funds will receive the funds unless there's some, you know, um, issue to, um, that I'm unaware of that why they are not able to receive the funding. But I do know that, of course, states in the District of Columbia received $195.3 billion. Counties, every county in the country that received the funding that was eligible to receive the funding, that was they received $65.1 billion. Cities and other non-entitled units of local government received another $65.1 billion. Tribal governments and territories received $24.5 billion across the two types of um, entities. If I can briefly talk about the eligible uses of the stat of the funding and I think yeah. that will probably help us. So the eligible uses are statutory eligible uses and they are number one respond to or mitigate the public health emergency or its negative economic impacts including assistance to households, small businesses, nonprofits or aid to impacted industries. That's the first category 
of the statutory eligible use. The second is respond to workers performing essential work during the COVID-19 public health emergency by providing premium pay to eligible workers. The third and fourth, which I'll quickly review, provide government services to the extent of the reduction in revenue due to the COVID-19 public health emergency. And number four, make necessary investments in water, sewer, or broadband infrastructure. When you're ready, and if you'd like me to, Steve, I can provide you with four very specific examples of what some governments are, are doing around the country and why I absolutely highly recommend that every nonprofit that is listening today, any, every nonprofit leader that's listening today, please conduct a search of your county. I would literally type into Google X County American Rescue Plan Act funding, see what those results are, go to the county's website and see where they are in the process of either uh, so, you know, soliciting feedback from their community, or maybe they've already done that and are actually in the process of accepting applications, mm -hmm. or they may have already accepted the applications and are already awarding those funds. And that is, uh, if they're already awarding those funds, it's a great opportunity for nonprofits to identify who is receiving those funds so they can consider, they can potentially uh, you know, partner with these organizations, not necessarily sub-award at this point, but certainly there are other ways that they can collaborate so that when additional funding becomes available in May, 2022. So there's an, a second tranche of funding going to, um, as a, there's a second tranche of funding from the treasury department to these mm -hmm. city, county, local, I'm sorry, city, county, state, uh, territorial and tribal governments that's going out in May of 2022. So that's, that's why this is so significant. It's, it's it's more funding than ever, probably for the it's certainly for these four uh, for uh, statutory uh, uh, eligible activities, and it, it you know the funding is going directly to the local government where the, where everyone can where local organizations can help identify solutions and implement those solutions. Well, so large chunks are right. I mean, not not all of it. Some of it you can apply directly to the feds. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Right. You can uh, you can apply directly to the funds, not necessarily for the coronavirus uh, uh, state and local fiscal recovery fund, okay. uh, but certainly for other funding opportunities. Absolutely. Right. So keeping an eye on grants.gov to understand those opportunities, but not limiting yourself to that right now and mm -hmm. really understanding what's your local um, units of government. I mean, state could be local depending on where you are. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that some of it may be managed more that way. Uh, you know, I'm working in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, and we were discussing before this uh, recording that uh, Hennepin County is already uh, moving on some of this stuff, as you had talked about, that there are units of government that understood what was coming, were already making plans, there's already opportunities to apply at those local levels. And sometimes uh, they are really seeking appropriately suited partners that they just hadn't had connection with because they didn't have this kind of resource before. Absolutely. So here, I think, is something really important for all of us to recognize that even if we're talking about fairly substantial amounts of money, most often as I'm reading through these things, they don't all need to be spent in the same year. So as you're looking at what do I have the capacity to deliver in my community, you might be looking at a two, three year um, process to be able to help people with that resource. So maybe it's a bigger dollar amount than you're used to looking at, but if you're spreading it over a couple or three years, uh, it may be something that really does make sense for you to go, no, I can be competitive in that because there are some of these things I've seen where there are minimum grants where they, they just will not deal with anything under a certain dollar amount. Uh, and I think that's important to recognize too. If, if there is some, you 
you have to be able to at least do this much work or we are going to move on to other partners that could. And then, of course, all of the grants have a maximum that you can apply for. <laughs> Nothing is unlimited, but um, mm -hmm. but some of the, the top limits are very high, even in these local government administered pools. And that's really very different from how we've seen it before. Absolutely. And I, you, know, you, made, you brought up a really good point. And I wanted to point out that these uh, local entities, these uh, city, county governments and the others, it is my understanding, don't, I, I won't state the date, but the bottom, they basically have, a, I believe, until December 31st of 2024 to utilize those funds. So the funds are going to be around for some time. And then they also have, I believe another one or two years to fully obligate those funds. Um, so just wanted to make sure that we're, we're clear that the, the funding doesn't uh, dry up effectively May, 2020, May of 2022. Those funds will be around and these local governments are responsible for identifying eligible uses. And of course, having a transparent process in which they are awarding these funds. Um, and of course they have to report back to the US Department of Treasury. So everything is going to be just as, um, as structured. They've just, they've just made it so that the funding is going to be much more targeted and community centered and community focused than in the past. So honestly, it's a challenge for some of these organizations. So we, we can help as nonprofit partners to uh, step up by getting the word out, first of all, to all of those of us that may have thought, well, you know, we're only a one or $2 million a year nonprofit organization. Um, we can only scale up so fast, even with government support. So therefore, these big things we're, we're not going to try to get into. Um, but that misses some opportunity for service where our government partners really do um, want to get this moving in a way that uh, even that smaller organization that hasn't had that large capacity in the past, but does, to your point, have a track record. I don't think folks that are just completely startups are maybe going to be the best fit here. But if you've been doing work for a couple of years and you've got some financials to show for it and you know wh what it costs to do your work, that that this could be a real opportunity to scale um, that organizational mission a little bit more. And once you have that experience of delivering that larger service, then when these funds are expended and we go back to um, a, a more traditional model, maybe you will have that experience with government funding sources where you know how to do those applications, you're ready to keep that funding going. Um, and then, you know, it may be not quite what we're seeing today. But I do think it, it is this moment of time of it looks like because of the amount of money that's available, because of the partner agreements that they're using local and state governments to get this out here, that this is a chance to really take advantage of that, establish yourself as a player with a track record to be able to say, we know how to administer these funds and do this. But the unfortunately, the clock is kind of ticking. I, one of the words I did get from one of our uh, federal government partners here, as I looked at an application that isn't due until January 22nd, I'm like, well, it's a big application, but we have till January 22nd. So he's like, we're awarding as we go. Um, mm -hmm. If other people come in and meet the criteria and, and we believe that they can do what they're going to do and their applications are in sooner, we, we may spend out that money before um, all that deadline comes. I'm like, oh, rats, there's a thing to be aware of. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. So no, I think that's an excellent point. So, you know, that is why, you know, we started out talking about, you know, removing the friction of the one of the things that sometimes I think organizations tend to want to stay away from, which is, of course, entering into the government space at all, you know, get registered in SAM.gov, get registered in grants.gov. Um, and then, of course, once these opportunities become available, you can apply for them. And there isn't the additional um, added delay of trying to get some of these administrative steps out of the way.
Um, and for example, the example that you just shared where the government entity is basically looking at, it's a basically an app, rolling application process, it sounds like. Typically there is a firm deadline. And then of course, once all the applications are reviewed by that firm deadline, agencies internally are trying to then figure out whether or not they're trying to determine which entity actually followed all the instructions and met what is called a basic threshold. Did they submit all of the attachments? Did they complete their budget? Did they do everything as instructed in the notice of funding opportunity or solicitation? Once they determine who actually met all of those requirements, they then, you know, typically of course, there's a panel that reviews the applications. And I do wanna point out that what I'm describing is a non-research grant funding opportunity. A research grant funding opportunity is, a, is an entirely different beast altogether. And those are typically applied for by, you know, of course, institute, research institutes and colleges and universities. What mm -hmm. I'm describing is a non-research federal funding opportunity. There's a panel that actually reviews the applications um, and then they score it based on a various, based on a, a very strict evaluation criteria. That evaluation criteria is one of the items in a notice of, fund, a notice of funding opportunity or solicitation. And that's actually one of the things that we always recommend that we review very closely, we be, being myself and, and our clients, review very closely to ensure that we're actually going to be writing a strong and compelling application that's going to tick all the boxes in that evaluation criteria. Uh, and so what happens internally from there, I, I can't speak on, but, I, but of course they're scored. And then based on the scoring and some other factors, they then determine who is going to be awarded. So because this is happening, that's what, what is happening at the federal level, because these federal, these local, the federal, federal government has basically pulled these funds down to local governments, uh, you know, that's, that process is much shorter and the funding is gonna be much more targeted and direct. I did wanna talk briefly about some of the examples of what's yeah. So for example, the Deschutes, and forgive, forgive me anyone in Oregon if I'm mispronouncing this, Deschutes County, um, in Oregon. Uh, so they've used some of their funding to support a little kid's early learning and child care center. They've created a camp project. They're converting a motel into a year-round shelter. Um, and of course, they've given uh, you know funds to a local Ronald McDonald house, and they're supporting the construction of a veterans village project. So again, this, you know, typically uh, a county government would not probably, you know, devote funding for these types of uh, services. Um, unless it was a part of a, a larger, for example, community development block grant or some other um, uh, uh, grant around housing. Um, Fulton County in Georgia, they are provide, they have provided funding, home mortgage assistance for homeowners, assistance to small businesses with less than 30 employees, premium pay raise for all Fulton County employees, hmm. summer youth and a young adult jobs, arts funding for programs and services. And I've heard from a number of uh, our, you know, arts organizations that funding for their types of organizations are typically very limited. But again, this is an opportunity for those organizations to apply for that kind of funding. Uh, Pima County, Arizona, they're going to expand sh the shelter capacity for domestic violence um, victims. Seattle, Washington is, you know, using a huge percentage of the funding that they receive to address homelessness. And as I said, I've actually looked at the Hennepin County website to see where they're voting their funding. Quite a bit of that is going in the housing space as well. So I uh, just wanted to provide some ex specific examples of what some counties are doing around the country. Um, so, you know, just wanted to, again, use that to help listeners understand just how broad these fund, the funds are gonna be applied and, and the opportunity for them to find out where their organizations may be to provide some of those services.
Right. And, you know, as much as a, a Google search with the, those uh, uh, American Rescue Plan Act information pieces may turn up some things, I'll also encourage people to think about being in contact with local government officials who um, may know uh, of how they've had to change or adapt. Uh, I, I do find sometimes that uh, those office holders are um, not the best judges of what's an applicable use, but at least they'll point you to the right people to talk to. Uh, mm-hmm. I've had many uh, local government officials who have contacted contacted charities that I work with who are like, oh, this is great. There's federal funding available for the for our community. You need to apply for this. And we look at it like it's it's very specifically for for-profit businesses, that thing you just sent us. You know, there's other pools that we are eligible for, and that's great. Um, but you know, the, the that lawmaker or county commissioner or whatever may not be the the final step, but they may give you the contact information of somebody who really could help you understand how are we locally using some of these resources, as well as how do you keep an eye on what's happening at the federal level for some of those things. Um, we're, we're starting to run a little low on time, and I do want to broaden the conversation up past just the, the moment that we have today um, with this rescue plan money that I think is important, but is um, transitional one way or another. You know, I, I do expect that there's going to be a, a shift again. Um, and as you talk about kind of grants-ready organizations, even for folks that for whatever reason may not jump into the pool today, may not take advantage of it today, maybe they just started up during the pandemic and they're really getting their feet under them and they're, they're really not ready. Um, how do you uh, coach organizations through thinking about when is the right time to uh, take our first stab at a, a government level support as opposed to foundations or individual donors or fee-for-service things that we might do in community or any other way to support your mission? Well, thank you. Um, so one of the first things that I typically do when we're working with our clients to determine whether or not they are first grant ready, and then of course, then government grant ready is we conduct an assessment of where they are in terms of meeting what we call certain governance metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, how are they currently, what financial management system do they currently have? How are they, um, you know, how active is their board? Is their board actually also donating? Uh, what other services, uh, are board minutes being documented? Uh, you know, how are decisions being made at the board level? And are those decisions being, um, of course, documented? Uh, you know, I also make sure that we're clear on whether or not they have proper policies and procedures in place. If you don't have certain, you know, at least certain minimal policies and procedures in place, procurement, um, you know, know, of course, the hiring process, all of these things are really important because it helps strengthen the organization overall, but it's certainly very important when you are going to be applying for a local government um, uh, grant application because local governments, because in some instances they are receiving federal funds and then subawarding those federal funds to local entities, to local community-based organizations, they typically have more requirements and of uh, things that they want submitted with the application. These certain uh, certain uh, financial financial management procedures and systems in place, certain board um, oversight um, systems and documentation in place. Uh, are they you know data? How how are they collecting their data, monitoring data, refining their program based on the, what the data is showing? You know, for example, if they are serving this community, but they realize that. Uh, looking at the data that there's a, a change, maybe they're ch- serving others, how do they adapt adopt, adapt their uh, programming and their services to ensure that those, uh, that they're of course bringing in a new uh, uh, crop of uh, beneficiaries. Uh, so we're looking at 
the whole organization, not just, you know, can they meet, do they have these check, can they check off all of these lists? We're looking at the entire organization to determine whether or not they're actually government grant ready. And then of course we do some of those things. We, you know, ensure that they're registered in SAM.gov, login.gov, all of those things. But it really is a, a, a overall analysis of how they're running the organization because so much of money, managing government grants is really ensuring you can comply with a government grant. Can you run accurate financial reports? Can you run accurate program reports that's gonna reflect the data and, and, and basically line up with what you state you can actually accomplish within your statement of work. Yeah, so there's a lot there to accept responsibility for, but of course, a lot of opportunity to really move your mission forward. So it's good to balance that understanding of if you're in a place where you're either mostly there on all these things, or you can certainly get there within that time frame that the grant allows. And I think mm -hmm. it's okay to consider we will need a different monitoring or measuring protocol soon after receiving this. And, and what will it look like to install that and make that part of the proposal? Like we know uh, this is going to take something and here's how we plan to address that. And then if you get awarded that, the, you, you have a plan moving forward. Um, a lot of that being really good things to keep in mind as you're considering uh, certainly those federal level applications. Uh, are, are you involved in seeking uh, state or local support that may not be federally funded that may come from other things? For example, here in Minnesota, we have things that we call you know legacy funded because there's a special sales tax uh, for preserving the natural and arts environment in our community. And it has very specific uh, program opportunities, but none of that's federal money. It, it's all coming in from from sales tax collected at the state level, uh, knowing that, you know, are those things that you also help people work through or do you try to specialize more in just federal opportunities? No, absolutely. Thank you for bringing that to, um, so I, you're absolutely right that some local um, government grants are actually, you know, as you said, from maybe, you know, sales tax and we absolutely walk um, organizations and uh, help them prepare the um, application for those, that kind of funding. So, and typically, uh, and in my experience, we helped a client that was in the city of Seattle uh, apply for funding. Um, and that was also the source of funding was not federal. It wasn't federal pass-through funding. And uh, they still, of course, want a very strong narrative. They want the statement of work or the scope of work to be as, uh, you know, as, as strong as possible and as compelling as possible. Uh, they may have their own, you know, for example, their own templates that may not be as complex as some of the templates that may, one may have to submit for a federal grant. Uh, you still, of course, have to provide a very, you know, a strong, uh, realistic budget and, of course, a budget narrative. And so absolutely walk them through, um, not just walk them through, we actually write the grant application, make sure that the budget is aligned with what they state that they want to accomplish uh, with the funding. And, of course, um, ensure that they provide everything that needs to provide to that local uh, entity by deadline. So we absolutely work with um, organizations on those kinds of grant applications as well. Yeah. And depending on where you live, of course, that may be just as rigorous as a federal application, or maybe it's not quite as much so. It's it's hard to know uh, until you've actually um, you know, had a chance to review what those other funding opportunities are. But I think once you've gotten uh, that whole um, thought process in of, yeah, we, we're ready to grow and accept that level of responsibility in, in government funding. We think this is the right partnership. We're going to need these accountabilities and these processes anyway. Why aren't we also considering state or other 
government actors, counties, uh, maybe regional authorities, whatever the thing may be uh, mm -hmm. that need the help that you're trying to provide community. So um, as you go through this with uh, folks and, and think about that grant ready piece, uh, how do you help them stay on track for reporting? Because I do think that sometimes we get the big dollar signs in our eyes about this opportunity, you get started, and then you get so absorbed in the work that maybe you're not um, quite as following through as you'd like to be on uh, interim reports, quarterlies, or semi-annual, or whatever the, the term that may be called for in the funding source, uh, that can sometimes trip people up. Absolutely. So actually, I'm glad you asked that question as well. So one of the services we offer uh, is offsite grant management. And oh. you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. So we offer uh, offsite grant management services uh, to a, a range of organizations. Um, so an organization can come to GrantsWorks after they've already received the funding. They may have, a, you know, superstar program staff, superstar uh, development staff uh, that's focused primarily maybe on, you know, private foundations. And um, they are interested in, uh, in, a, in a company that that's going to help them manage the government award that they just received. So what I typically do is, of course, uh, meet with the organization. I do a you know very uh, you know, we go through the award document, the terms and conditions, the reporting requirements with a fine tooth comb. We create what's uh, called a compliance assessment, and so not only do we manage the awards to ensure that they are submitting the let's say monthly reports on time, uh, but we also ensure that they are, you know, complete submitting their audits if, if an audit submission is required by a certain time. We're ensuring that their, their budgets and their, uh, and their spending reflect maybe the indirect cost rate that they already, are, you know, a negotiated indirect cost rate agreement. So we actually provide grant management, which is actually the, you know, the bulk of our experiences on grant management mm. and grant compliance uh, I have, you know, I personally have a, quite a bit of grant compliance experience, um, having managed compliance for grants from the U.S. Department of um, Health and Human Services, CDC uh, and NIH, uh, National Science Foundation, a number of federal agencies, and certainly state and um, state and uh, local government agencies. So, uh, offsite grants management is is something that we 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 provide, and it's something that we enjoy um, working with our clients on. Good. I mean, one one way or the other, there's either going to need to be some rededication of internal staff or hiring of a new person or something to account for this, uh, or you know, an arrangement with uh, some external resources to make sure that this gets done. But I think that um, just sort of assuming, well, you know, we do other grants reporting. The you know, executive director will just suck it up and do that too. Um, I, I think is um, not a, a strong play when it comes to government funding in particular, because I do think it can be a little bit more. Um, challenging to do. And, and as long as you're planning to be successful with the right resources and attention, um, it's doable. But uh, I, I would be even more cautious about these partners in reporting requirements than I would be for, um, you know, anything that, 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 you know, would come elsewhere. So um, we, we are just about out of time. So I do want to give you a moment to say any, anything that we've missed or some uh, last words of advice that you want to make sure to share with the audience before we need to wrap up. Absolutely. So I, I do want to briefly piggyback off what you just said. So uh, you're absolutely right. This is not, you know, you don't approach a government grant report the same way you would probably approach another. There are portals that you may need to register in. There are certain formats. There are certain, you know, there are just certain uh, structures around, you know, the really uh, comprehensive reports that uh, they're going to require. And so you definitely want to make sure you have either someone on the team or an external source dedicated to making sure that reports are submitted on time and are as comprehensive as possible. 
so I definitely wanted to uh, you know state that. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to let uh, your listeners know that Grantsworks Academy is a site that uh, uh, we recently created to ensure that anyone who is interested in becoming government grant ready can go to that site, find information on, we have a ton of on-demand classes and live classes that we offer. Yeah, absolutely. We have a ton of on-demand and live classes that we offer for anyone who may be interested in learning more about becoming government grant ready, how to search for federal grants, how to apply for federal grants. And we even have a a six-week demystifying federal grants um, masterclass that is taught by me. Um, And so we definitely can, you've got your listeners covered if they're interested in going down that route. But I do want to just reiterate, this is a really interesting and exciting time for nonprofits, emerging nonprofits who that may be interested in, you know, expanding their services and expanding their capacity by you know, going after government grants, applying for and hopefully being awarded government grants so that they can serve more people and have a greater impact in the community. So, uh, you know, and not to be intimidated by the process, go after it, learn where the challenges are, and then of course address those challenges uh, so that when another opportunity becomes available, you are ready, you've actually looked at a solicitation, you know where the, you know what the hiccups could be in this process. Um, and, you know, you're not limiting um, and organizations aren't limiting themselves by, you know, because they've been intimidated by a government grant application process in the past. Great. Well, wonderful advice and just such helpful information uh, that I, I'm hoping everyone will take a moment to examine these opportunities right now. Uh, it won't last, unfortunately. I, I do think that, you know, these resources will get used and then I, I don't know that we will see future rounds like this again. So I, I do think it's a great opportunity to really be aware of what's there, seek the help you need, get going, uh, do some good work out there. So uh, thank you again for your time. Patrice Davis is the founder and managing principal at GrantWorks. Patrice, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Steve. Have a good day. 